Well, hi. Good morning, everybody. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us today, let me introduce myself. My name is Jason Cusick. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. And something to know about us, we're a multi-campus church. So right now, we're connected to our Torrance campus. And so let's give it up for our Torrance campus. And we're, we're clapping right now. They're clapping right now. They're like, we love that we are Torrance or whatever. They're, they're super excited right now. And then if you're watching us online, great that you can be connected with us. We're in week four of a series we're calling Doors, and it's all about decision-making. We face doors of decision in our life all the time, some of them that we expect, some of them we don't expect. For the last three weeks, we've talked about different kinds of doors. We've talked about big decisions, the door of change. Last week, Pastor Alex from our Torrance campus talked about the door of regret. Today, we're going to be talking about this door, the door of crisis. And just so we have a working definition of it, here's what a crisis is. A crisis is a time of intense difficulty or trouble. Sometimes we think of crisis only as a bad thing. Uh, There's actually good times in life where a crisis happens, like the birth of a child or starting a new job or going off to college and starting college. That can be a, a crisis moment coming from something good. But we probably have all had experience of crisis in our life of of maybe being fired or losing a loved one or getting an unexpected health diagnosis. Um, Sometimes we have a crisis in our identity or in a relationship. Sometimes we have a, a spiritual crisis where we feel we might be losing our faith or feel disconnected from God uh, in, a, in a way that maybe we felt connected before. Crisis can come in all different forms, and, and it hits us all differently. But as we go through this message, maybe you can have in your mind a time of crisis that you experienced in your life. You might be in one of those moments right now, or maybe there's someone close to you that might be going through a time of crisis. Have that in mind because we're going to look at what Jesus says about crisis and how we can deal better with it. Crisis is uh, expected sometimes and unexpected. Let me give you a kind of a lighthearted illustration of this. I have a a habit in my life, it's a habit I'm not proud of, and it's walking through people's screen doors. Um, So, like, if you have a sliding glass door and you invite me over, I will probably walk through the screen door. I won't walk through the glass door, but there's just some, I have gone through so many screen doors at people's homes. And those of you that have had me over to your home, you know who you are, because I've had to pay for, uh, knock it off the railing. I've torn out uh, the, the screen. The only thing I haven't done is actually left a kind of a cartoony shape in the screen door as I went through it. This is actually, I, w- I wouldn't say it's a habit. It's more of a hobby because I've done it so often. But I'm learning. I'm learning now that when a sliding glass door is open, to walk slowly up to it to really get a perception of whether or not the screen is open or not. I was at a pool party a few weeks ago, and um, the sliding glass door was open, and I was getting ready to walk outside, and I stopped and I looked around. Nobody was in the room, and I just put my hand out there just to double check. And of course, that time the door was open, so I'm like going like this like a dum-dum into the air, you know. 
That screen door in my life is a lot like crisis. I should expect that it's there, but sometimes it still surprises me. And when I hit it, I'm thrown off, I'm shocked, I'm embarrassed, uh, I kind of don't know what to do with myself, and sometimes it causes damage to me or the other people in my life. That's what crisis is like. The good news is we don't have to face crisis alone, and we can actually anticipate and work through crises in a healthy way. Here's the main idea that we're going to talk about. We can let God and other people help us through crisis. Let's take a look at what Jesus said about how to get through crisis. Um, If you're new to the Bible, uh, these four books of the New Testament are a great place to start in getting familiar with Jesus' teachings. These are four different authors that lived in the first century. A couple of them were actually Jesus' direct followers, and they summarized some of Jesus' life and teachings. And this is a great place to start in reading the Bible. We're going to be looking at the last guy on this list, John. He was a, uh, one of Jesus' youngest disciples. And we're going to look at a specific chapter in John's writing to talk about crisis. And here's where we can find it, John chapter 16. I'd love it if you made a note of this for yourself. And if you were to go home this week and read this whole thing on your own, because we're not going to cover everything in this chapter, but there's so much that Jesus says as he's preparing his disciples for dealing with crisis in their life. So do me a favor and write that down. When you go home and read it this week, you might open up a Bible or pull it up online, and you might say, like I did years ago, you might be like, is this really what he said? I mean, hasn't the Bible been translated so many different times that we've kind of lost touch with what it originally said? Here's the really cool thing about John chapter 16. In, in, in our world today, we have in possession uh, a document that's called Papyrus 66, Papyrus 66 is dated between 100 and 200 A.D., and it is John chapter 16. Now, John, we believe, wrote John chapter 16 right around 90 A.D. So we have Papyrus 66, and Papyrus 66 was written within 10 to 50 years after. So we have this ancient Greek document almost to the exact time that John wrote it. And here's the cool thing. If you read Papyrus 66 in Greek, and then you open up John 16, it says the same thing. We have a 2,000-year-old document dating back to John's actual disciple to give us wisdom on how to deal with crisis. Here's what Jesus said. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows but take heart because I've overcome the world. Let's look at the first thing that he says. He says, here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. I think Jesus knew his disciples needed to hear this because I think they were of the mindset like, hey, we've got Jesus. Our life's going to be gravy. (laughs) This is going to be awesome. Jesus is here. We shouldn't expect any problems. With Jesus in your life, you'll have no problems. That's probably what they were thinking. Some of us kind of tend to think like that. Or we have other hopes that something 
will prevent us from having crises. If I could just get that job, if I could just meet that special person, if I could just get into that school, if I could just get that money, I won't have any problems. But Jesus, knowing this, says, you know what? Life is rough, even with me in your life. And what he's doing is he's preparing them for the challenges. Now, he's not being a Debbie Downer, you know? He's not like, hey, think negatively. He's not doing that. All some of us do that. Some of us veer toward worst-case scenario. I have a temptation to veer toward worst-case scenario. You know, I'll give you an example. Like if you're, if, let's say you, you, you cross the street, right? And you've crossed the street a hundred times and never got hit by a car. You walk across the street again, you go, I've done this a hundred times. I'm, I'm all right. Me, I walk across the street a hundred times, never get hit by a car. Next time I walk across the street, I'm like, my time's up. It, <laughs> yeah, it's due. This is the moment when I'm going to get hit, right? Jesus is not saying think negatively. What Jesus is saying is, I want to invite you to be prepared for the challenges rather than devastated by them. He's inviting us to see crises even as kind of a normal and natural part of what it means to live in our current world. And he uses a very normal, natural metaphor for describing crisis and how to deal with crisis. Childbirth. Look what he says. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. He's actually talking to them about how when he dies, they're going to be sad, but when he's resurrected, they're going to be joyous again. But look what he says. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. During childbirth, woman's body goes into crisis. And then hopefully, through that process, a new life is brought into the world. Now, let me stop there and just say, I'm not going to be the dude who stands up here and explains childbirth uh, to everybody, okay? But I will, what I want to explain is another natural process that Jesus refers to here in this section. He uses this word, grief. We said crisis is a time of intense difficulty or trouble. Grief is the emotional, mental, and physical responses we have to a crisis or a loss. So we can let God and others help us through times of crisis in a couple of ways, and here's one of them. Embrace the grief process. Jesus just so beautifully summarizes the grief process for us. Look, remember what he said? He said, anguish gives way to joy. What a, what a beautiful, poetic way to say it. But, but I think it's natural for us to ask, how? How does that happen? When I go through a time of crisis or intense loss in my life, how do I get from anguish to joy? Rather than uh, childbirth, let me give you another natural metaphor for how this happens. Um, this is, uh, for those of you who um, 
are from Southern California. These are called seasons. Um, we don't have them here. Uh, we have our own kind of experience here. If you're new to California or you're just visiting, let me, let me tell you the seasons we have. We have four seasons here. The first one is summer. The second one is fire. The third one is water. And it's very short. Uh, during this season, we go outside and we watch this mysterious liquid come down from the sky. And then when we drive, we crash into each other. And then the fourth season is second summer. It just lasts longer. That's it really. So, thank you. Let's go back to this one. These are the natural seasons that normal places in the world experience. This is actually a picture that my wife painted that's in our house. And it, and, and it always reminds me of this idea of the grief process. We can look at the grief process as being symbolically happening through the four seasons of the year. The first season is what we would call fall. And as we enter into the, the seasons, we have a task that we need to accomplish in order to get to the next season. So the first task is to accept the reality of the loss. Everywhere from 24 hours, particularly 24 to 72 hours, and then probably for a month, our biggest challenge is just letting it soak in, you know, what happened, the loss that we experienced. It's, it's, it's when we get the divorce papers. It's when we've been fired. It's when we get the diagnosis. You know, and there's that moment where you're kind of like, is this really even happening? You know, in, in our mind and in our, our emotions, we're numb and we're kind of in shock. And that's normal and natural. I actually think God designed our body and our brain to respond with shock so that we wouldn't be overwhelmed by all the emotions that would come from a really uh, dramatic or sudden loss in our life. What we need at that time and what we need to provide for others is really just basic body and, and mind care. We need somebody to just say, hey, have, have you had lunch? Can I watch the kids? Are you drinking water? Sometimes it's as simple as, hey, why don't you sit down? Or why don't you go try to, you might not be able to sleep, but why don't you go lie down? Especially within the first 72 hours of a crisis, a lot of it is just taking care of, of basic needs. When Jesus died on the cross, the two days afterwards, his disciples just kind of wandered around. They're just kind of like, I thought Jesus was the Messiah. Even though he said he was going to rise from the dead, in their shock and disbelief, they were just numb and they had forgotten the entire thing. I don't know what's happening here. Then Jesus shows up and in his own way, he asks them a simple question. He says, what happened? That's what we can do in that first stage. When somebody's experienced the, the dramatic loss and crisis, a great thing we can do is take care of them physically, making sure they're okay, and then say, hey, what happened? What were your first thoughts when this happened? What were your first feelings when it happened? What are you feeling and thinking now? It's an opportunity to invite people to tell their story over and over again. And the more we tell our story, the more real it gets. When we accept the reality of the loss, something happens. We move into the next season, and that's winter. Our task 
is to process the pain of grief. And this might be from month one to month four. This is after the funeral's done. As the paperwork is finalizing, as we're not quite ready to apply for a new job, we're just kind of starting to feel a lot of emotions that we tend not to understand. We're angry, we're confused, we're depressed. We might feel relieved, and then we feel guilty for being relieved. It's kind of a muddled mess, but that's okay because God's designed us to have an emotional response to loss. And the more we keep that bottled up, it starts leaking out later. So it's good to express those emotions. Jesus did. While Jesus was on the cross dying for our sins, he cried out and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting a psalm, Psalm 22 to be exact. The psalms are this great book in the Old Testament full of poetry and full of emotions and a lot of really dark and negative emotions. And the psalms, there's no easy answers. But there's the hope that, it, that God's given us emotions as a way of processing loss in our lives. And he doesn't want to live in that, but over a period of time, there comes this moment, much like the seasons and much like in nature, where winter gives birth to spring. A flower pops up all of a sudden, and we kind of realize, hey, things are changing. When we experience a crisis and a loss, sometime, usually around six to eight months, something in us gives us permission to go into the next season. And that's when we adjust to the new world. It's when we start applying to the new job. It's when we actually go through our loved one's possessions and begin giving them away or, or, or taking care of them in some way. It's when we feel the opportunity to start moving forward and trying new things. After Jesus died on the cross and then he rose again, he spent 40 days with his disciples. They had to get used to the idea that Jesus was no longer going to be with them in the same way, but he wasn't going to stay with them longer than 40 days. And he actually said something to them. He said, go. Go now. Now you've been with me for three years. Now I want you to go and share the good news with others. And so they realized, I have to begin moving forward. That's when people need an invitation. Hey, why don't you come with me to this? Hey, hey, have you considered trying this? Have you been open to this new idea? And over time, we find ourselves in that fourth season. And it's when we find connection between the past and the future. We're not living in the past. We're celebrating, but we're not denying it. We're not dismissing it, but we're also not idolizing it. We're saying, this was wonderful, and I'm still there, and I still have sadness, and yet I'm also re-engaged. I'm invigorated about that new job. I'm trying that new relationship. I'm, I'm in that treatment program, and I'm getting better, and now I'm encouraging other people to take care of themselves. The average amount of time it takes, research shows us, for a person to process 
a normal but significant loss in life is about 12 to 18 months. Now, some of you are like, gosh, couldn't it be quicker? I mean, my gosh, that's a long time. But you know, we're tender beings. We're complicated human beings. And God wants us to process things fully. Because we don't, when we don't process things fully, like I said, it comes out in, in other ways. In fact, in this country, we used to have a tradition that if someone died, you'd wear black for a year or you'd wear a black armband for a period of time. And that, that was permission for you to grieve a crisis in your life. And it was permission for other people and awareness of them saying, I need to be very aware of what this person is going through right now and be thoughtful about how I interact with them. Nowadays, we're kind of like, get over it. Move on. Come on. It's been a week. You know, I mean, we, we like to move people along. We're used to the half-hour sitcom way of dealing with things, you know? Now, some of you might be looking at this. You go, isn't this just like that change cycle we talked about a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. Because loss and grief and crisis are a kind of change that go through predictable cycles. If we can understand these cycles, not only can we care for our souls better, but we can invite God into our grief and help, uh, help, uh, let him help us process it. Now, one thing that complicates this is something called trauma. Trauma is when we have a uniquely intense, debilitating event in our life. We, it can be little t trauma, like something you wouldn't think would impact you that much, and then it does, and you're kind of surprised for it, by it. Or it can be big T trauma, where you know when it's happening, you're like, this is going to significantly impact my life. Um, some examples of this could be if you're in an accident, if you witness violence, if you uh, have experienced abuse, if you're an abuse survivor. These are traumatic effects that linger in the mind and in the body. Even if other people have moved on, even if the people that have hurt you have moved on, it's still present there in some way needing to work itself out. There's an old African proverb that says, the axe forgets, but the tree remembers. And the research that we've done on trauma, we understand that, that, the, that our brain and our body remember traumatic events. And you know this is true because sometimes uh, you might hear a, a, a person's voice or you'll be reminded of a person or you'll get a smell or something will happen, and then suddenly you're kind of having a panic attack. And that could be because there is trauma, a uniquely distressing event in your past that has been ungrieved. And so the good news, we're living in a culture now where there is great treatment and therapy for trauma. And God wants us to heal from those traumatic things. It could be things here, it could be military experience. It could be stuff in our home life. It could be religious experiences, all kinds of things. Here's a question I have for you. How can you invite Jesus into your grief or support someone else in their grief? Maybe it means just being aware of the seasons. You know, you, you want to, someone's gone through a loss and you want to get them a new job, but they're just still in shock. Or someone's in shock, and you're like, tell me how you're feeling. And they were like, I don't know how I'm feeling. I'm feeling nothing. 
Or maybe being more aware of the seasons in your life. You're like, oh man, I'm just having all these emotions, but I should do better. I should believe better. I should be more positive. No, if you're in that season, you need to say, how can I be in this season and invite Jesus to feel these feelings with me and to be in this period of life where I need to process this? Maybe it means coming alongside other people in a supportive way through that process, or it could mean, as I'm talking right now, you're going, oh yeah, there's some trauma in my life. I know it. That's why I'm struggling in my marriage. That's why I'm dealing with this way in my parenting. That's why I'm having a hard time dealing with employment, because I've had these traumatic experiences at previous jobs, and I'm gun-shy. You know, you've got all kinds of things. So maybe it means giving some attention to those things. We can let God and others help us through crisis. The first way, embrace the grief process. Invite Jesus into it. Work through the grief and the trauma. And then here's the second way. We'll go back to what Jesus said. He said, here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows. He says, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Um, In the original Greek language in Papyrus 66, that phrase, take heart, is, it it says, uh, uh, have courage. That's the same, that's kind of an English render, take heart, it's the the idea, have courage. And, And why can we have courage? Because he says, I've overcome the world. Jesus is like, look, I'm dying for the world, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. If you can trust anybody with your problems, it's Jesus who's actually overcome everything, including death. And he's like, I've overcome the world. Let's get through this together. Here's the second way we can let God and others help us through crisis. Find courage. Now, how do we find courage? Well, when you read John 16 this week, you'll notice two ways. One, it says that when we say yes to Jesus, God gives us his Holy Spirit. And that is God within us encouraging, comforting, reminding us of Jesus' teaching. So when we're going through really tough times, we are not alone. Jesus is right there with us, helping us through this in a supernatural way, and we can cling to Jesus in those moments. The second way is when Jesus is talking to his followers in John 16, he's saying, I am with you individually But more importantly, collectively, he was talking to all of his followers. He was saying, I'm with y'all, and I want to get y'all through it, which means sometimes when we're going through a tough time like this, we pull in and we get highly individualistic. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. When you're going through a crisis, you need to be with other people. And you need to be with other people that know you and love you and have walked that walk and can love you empathetically through those things. So here's an action step for you. Join a group to give and receive courage. Maybe it's a specialized group like Grief Share, like an AA group, like a depression or anxiety group, some kind of support group, or it could be just a group, a small group of people. We have groups meeting all over the South Bay in people's homes throughout the week. Uh, in our group, we walk through the sermon discussion guide from each week, and then there's a part of it that is just us listening to each other and hearing what's going on in our, each other's lives and checking in with each other during the week. Join a group 
The spiritual life is not meant to be done alone. What did we talk about today? We can let God and other people help us through crisis. Two ways. Embrace the grief process. Invite Jesus into those stages and understand those stages so we can care for somebody else. And two, find courage. Directly with God and really importantly, by being involved with other people in some kind of group. Let me close with saying this. um, When Jesus said, take heart because I've overcome the world, that word overcome in Greek is nikeo. It means to overcome. It's where Nike uh, got its name from. Jesus is saying, when it comes to crisis, you, you can get through this. Just, just do it. <laughs> Don't get stuck in it. Don't live in your trauma. Don't stay in your grief. You will have crisis. You will have trial. You will have sorrow. But you can keep going. You can get through it with God and with others. If you're going through a time right now of crisis, or maybe even this message has triggered some stuff like, oh boy, yeah, I know what you're talking about. There's something in my past that's kind of creeping up, or there's something I haven't dealt with. We want to help you with that. We're going to have some people on our prayer team here, and at Torrance, they're going to be uh, where the cross is here at the front. Um, and someone to pray with. If you want to talk with somebody, we're going to have our connections group, our connections people outside in the lobbies. Um, we can get you connected to a group, a support group, something here, something in the community. Maybe become uh, a group with some other people that you know and be in an environment to kind of help you through that. If there's something you're dealing with, we want you to move forward in a positive direction. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to. And then next week, we're going to finish our series by talking about the door of invitation. And that is, Jesus is knocking at the door of our hearts, and he's saying, I want to come in. I want to be in your life. I want to help you. And some of us, we did that in some great way. We say, yes, I said yes to Jesus years ago, but there are other doors in your life where he is knocking and saying, I would like to come into that area now, and maybe grief and trauma is one of those. Let me close our service with a word of prayer. Would you stand uh, as we close and stand over there at Torrance? Hey, again, if this was your first time with us, thank you for being here. I hope this was helpful uh, to you, um, and we'd love to see you next week. Let me close us in prayer. God, thank you that when we go through those times in our life, and I know the times I've gone uh, through crisis in my life, sometimes it doesn't feel like you're there, but you are. You're with us. And God, thank you that we don't have to look at crises like a, like a mystery. Thank you for all that we know about the grief process. Help us to have wisdom and the support of others so we can get through it with them and with you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great week.